actually be antithetical to the kind of kingdom that was during that time. I mean, this was a time where there was uh, evil rulers, some of the evil men and women that walked the face of the planet, where it was all about control and power and dominion and, and further colonization and further uh, taking over land and, and people groups and dominance. Power was the name of the game when it comes to the kingdoms of this time. And Jesus, in his Beatitudes, actually flips that upside down and says, if you actually want to be part of my kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's actually going to be the opposite of everything that you're familiar with. No longer is it about gaining power and dominance and rule and all those other things that this kingdom offers. My kingdom is now about, as we will read, the poor, the meek, the humble, the mourning, uh, those with loss, the very opposite of what a kingdom usually looked like during that time. And what's really important when we talk about the kingdom of God is that it's less about an occupied space with borders. So every kingdom will have regions during this time. It'll say, all right, from here to here, this is this kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, over here and here, this is the kingdom of Israel, over here is the kingdom of Babylon. So there's these separate borders of each kingdom. And God is saying that my kingdom that is coming on earth is less about a physical space with borders, but it's about the present reality of my rule basically of my control. Wherever I am, whether, wherever I'm being demonstrated, whether, wherever I'm being lived out, that is where my kingdom is. And so oftentimes we think about the kingdom of God being uh, essentially heaven, right? We all hear that, uh, you know, as Christians, like when we die, uh, then we get to go to a place called heaven and be with God forever and ever. And that kind of what we would call dispensational type of thinking uh, is, is dangerous sometimes. Is that because we believe that we don't get to experience heaven until we die, what does this life today really mean? And what does our relationship with God really mean? And what Jesus is saying, actually, the kingdom of heaven could be experienced right now, right here. Because it's not about a place, especially a place that you go after to die, although it is but we can't just minimize heaven and the kingdom of God as a place that you go after you die. Because yes, it is a place that we get to be with God forever and ever. But, or and, the kingdom of heaven can be experienced right now, right here, because it's not a place. It's where the kingdom of God, where God is rule and God is in control. And that's through, through you and me that ushers in heaven to earth. So many times we talk about as Christians, like, oh, when I die, I'm going to go up to heaven. And Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute, heaven wants to come down to you. Heaven wants to come down to you. And I love in Matthew chapter 4, 23 to 24, right before the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus says, what says this, Matthew, the writer, Jesus went into Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various disease, diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And it says, he healed them. He healed them all. 
See, even during that time, that's what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. In verse 23, it says, the good news is the kingdom. Well, what about the kingdom is good news? That the kingdom, that wherever Jesus is, makes a difference. There's healing, there's power, there's forgiveness. There's joy when there doesn't seem to be a place for joy. There's light during places where it's just dark. That's what it looks like to bring kingdom here on earth. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus teaches also in the Sermon on the Mount, later in chapter 6, he says this, when you pray, and we're, a lot of us are familiar with his prayers, says, when you pray, pray like this, and he goes over a set of prayers, and he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we all know what, a lot of us know what happens next. It says, your kingdom come. That's the prayer. God, kingdom, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. Doesn't that sound familiar to a lot of us? That's what, what we've coined as the Lord's Prayer. God, may your kingdom come here on earth. And then in John 10, 10, it talks about this life. We're going to connect the dots in a second. It talks about this life, that Jesus, in this idea of kingdom, when Jesus is controlling and reigning in our lives, that we experience life. And in the Greek language, there's two ideas of life, right? There's this idea, the word bios is life, or we get biology, uh, and this word zoe, which also means life. But the word bios just really is about breathing. It's about living, it's about walking, uh, and it's just that biologically, you are literally, you are alive, and Jesus saying, when you are living in within my kingdom, and remember, kingdom isn't just when you go to heaven, it's right now, right here, when you agree to live uh, alongside Christ's reign, you don't just live this bios life, you're not just breathing, you're actually thriving. And that's Zoe, that you're just thriving. And in John 10, 10, it says that the thief comes to steal and kill and, and rob, but Jesus comes not to just have you living a life, but for you to live life to its fullest. Living life to its fullest is what it looks like to participate in God's kingdom. And it doesn't mean that the Zoe life is without struggle or without pain, because uh, there is. And it's not always easy, and it doesn't always go your way. And there's suffering, and there's trauma, and there's disappointment. Like that, that is almost a guarantee in life. The, the rule of Christ doesn't mean there's an elimination of that. Uh, it means that in the midst of that, Christ brings hope, and Christ writes the end of that story. Depression, addiction, anxiety, hurt. Anger, lack of forgiveness, bitterness, that does not control you anymore. That no longer has the, the end of your story written out for you. Even in the midst of that, Jesus is saying that in my kingdom, that may be part of your life now, but it doesn't have to be the end of that story, of your story. Because in the kingdom of God, when we are walking alongside Jesus, God is in control. God brings comfort. God brings joy and hope and continues to write your story. The kingdom of God is not just a place where we go after we die. It's a place that we are to experience today. 
And I believe a lot of us, we've experienced a glimpse of heaven before. When somebody hurts you or betrays you, lies to you, and you offer forgiveness, that's bringing God's kingdom here to earth. When we see the poor and the people are suffering and you offer your generosity, your time, your love, and your hospitality, your resources, that's bringing kingdom here on earth. When you see injustices, racism, prejudice, sexism, wherever it is, and you speak up and you have a voice and you see what is wrong and you try to right it, that is bringing, ushering in the kingdom of God. Part of our announcements, we have Stephen's ministry signups uh, just right after the service. And I don't know if you know what that is, is we have Stephen's ministers and they are essentially the pastoral care team, not just here at Bethany West Seattle, but Bethany as a whole. And, and, and the role of a Stephen's minister is to walk alongside people that are struggling with hardships in life, whatever that might be, it's all over the spectrum. And, and the point is that if you're going through anything anything at all that you would get a hold of one of us and you'd be connecting with a Stephen's minister and that Stephen's minister would, would pray for you, would offer you hope, would offer you scripture, would offer you just a friendship and to walk alongside you as you go through whatever you're going through. And I would say that is also bring, bringing in the kingdom of God, ushering in a glimpse of what heaven looks like. And, and so the question is this, people are like, what is heaven like? And the obvious answer is, well, you know, like if you're really awesome, then you get wings, you know, and you get to fly and there's clouds. And, and then at your 10-year anniversary of heaven, you get a halo. Uh, that's what heaven looks like. And, and, the, and the answer is no. That I, I actually don't know what heaven looks like, the heaven, the place we go after we die. But I know that we get a glimpse of what heaven looks like right now. Again, when there's porn, we're feeding them. When there's injustices and we're doing something good, uh, we're doing something to right them. Uh, when there's people suffering and we're offering our time and help, glimpse of heaven there, glimpse of heaven here, glimpse of heaven there. That is what heaven looks like. And it's up to us to receive the invitation to participate in God's coming uh, to earth, as it says in Matthew chapter 6. A few days ago, uh, a college student called me up at like midnight. I used to work alongside the college students at Bethany Greenwick before I came here. And uh, he, had, he doesn't have many friends. He's new to the neighborhood, uh, to the church even. And uh, I was actually surprised he called me. And he says, Prince, tomorrow morning, I can't find a ride back to the airport because he went to Hawaii to visit his family. Uh, and now he needs a ride back from SeaTac to Greenwood. Uh, and unfortunately, I had, a, I had a meeting the next, that same time, early in the morning. And I said, oh, man, well, I, I, can't, I just can't do this for you. I have a meeting. Uh, and he understood. He was very upset. You know, he was worried that he couldn't find a ride. But I'm like, I, I just can't do it. But I said, you know what, hold on. So I reached out. This was midnight. And I started texting like five, six, seven different people. Uh, and one person reached out and said, hey, I can do it. It's like, are you, are you sure? Like, this is like six in the morning. Uh, during the holiday season. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I let them know, you know, what I look like, and I'll connect with them in my car and blah, blah, I said, great. Hey, uh, while you have no idea who this person is, but she's going to be picking you up, and she'll be there at 6 a.m. 
And he's like, you're joking, right? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not joking. Someone here, someone's going to pick you up. Yes, it's a stranger, but it's someone that cares about you and someone that wants to, to help. And, and I feel like, you know, like when you cry and you try to not cry, you have kind of the shivers, like you get a little peach, you start to shake in the chin. Now, I didn't see him, but I feel like that's what he was doing because he can barely get the words. I was like, Prince, thank you so much. You have no idea what that means to me. And I called Mindy back, the girl that was going to pick him up, and I was like, I don't think you understand the, the amount that you have just made this day. He's coming back to an unfamiliar city with no friends, and here's a stranger that says, I will pick you up from the airport at 6 in the morning during the holidays. She's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. And I thought, that is another example of when we bring heaven to earth. And the question for us is that all of us were part of a kingdom. We are. We all have a king or queen in our lives that determines what is important to us, how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, how we view God. We all are under the rule of something. We all have a Lord. And so during this time, the Lord was another popular word. It wasn't just a spiritual word of God, but the Greek word kyrios, Lord, means the one that I follow, the one that I pledge my life to. And so back then in the first century, there would be emperors like Nero, where his name was Lord. His name was Kyrios, Lord Nero, or Lord. Like he was the one that he wanted everyone to follow him. And Jesus is saying, you know what, in this kingdom, who is your Lord? Who is the one that you decide or have committed to follow? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it your own kingdom where you are your own God, your own king, your own Lord? Is it your push for success? Is that your God? Is that your king? Upward mobility, status, chasing the American dream? Is it a relationship? I don't know what it is for you. But when we're really introspective and we really examine where our time goes, where our money goes, our energy, our emotions, that'll give you a good idea of who your curious, your Lord, your King is. And the invitation is that Christ wants to be king over your life, starting now, not just when you die and go to heaven. God, through Jesus, wants to be king of your life, right now. And his kingdom can be with you, and not only with you, but shown to others through you. Because our relationship with God is not what many of us would call fire insurance, like, oh, I'm just going to believe in God because then after I die, I can just go to heaven. No, it's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. It starts now and it starts today and it starts with you. And it starts with us accepting the invitation to join God in what God is doing here on earth. That is participating in God's kingdom. And now secondly, uh, how do we live in the kingdom of God is the question. How, How do we do that? As we go back to the Beatitudes, Jesus is teaching his disciples, as kingdom people, here is what it looks like 
And again, it's very different. And then he goes down the line. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And so today we're going to look at, uh, continue looking at, blessed are the poor in spirit in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. This is a very, very contradictory, upside-down way of thinking during this time. So first of all, blessed is this Greek word markyrios. And I know some Bible translations will have this word happy. Uh, you know, I've even had my old youth pastor say, you know what, blessed, don't, don't forget about blessed or blessed. Put in the word happy. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those uh, who are, are poor. And unfortunately, that misses the point of the original word markyrios, blessed. It kind of doesn't do it enough justice of what this writer was actually trying to do. Blessed is this idea of the Hebrew word shalom. This peace inside and out. This not just being happy, but having this overwhelming joy that consumes your life. Because happiness is very contingent upon circumstances. If things are going well, things are going your way, then of course you're happy. But the moment that something uh, gets disrupted or there's a mistake or there's something wrong, then the happiness goes away. And this idea of shalom and blessed is that God's kingdom in you, when, when God's kingdom is in you, you have joy, not happiness, joy from this blessing that is everlasting. That is everlasting, that cannot be stripped away. And it means that there's this whole idea of wholeness. Blessed are you. You are whole. Wholeness to you. Uh, blessed is a place where God reigns again, where God is on your side. And they knew about the king and kingdoms, especially th these disciples when they were listening. They knew this whole idea of kings and kingdoms uh, and, and the corruption and the power. And yet Jesus is saying, I tell you something very, very different. That the way of the kingdom is not knowing and pursuing power. The way of the kingdom to be blessed, to be shalom, to have me by your side is actually knowing that not only are you not powerful, but you're actually weak. That you're desperate. That you're broken. And that you're in need. That's a very different way of thinking. Well, wait a minute, Jesus, are you saying that I don't need to seek power and fame and wealth and all these things and rise up to the top to be part of this awesome kingdom? And Jesus is saying, no, actually the very opposite. I need you to understand that you're weak, that you have issues, that you've made mistakes, that you need forgiveness, that some of you are going through addiction, that some of you guys are going through depression, anxiety, whatever it is. I need you to own that. That is when you get to experience in fullness the kingdom of God. And there's this one scholar who I love. His name is Dallas Willard. He has a book called Divine Conspiracy. And I always say this. Someone asked me, if you had one book that you can read forever and you'd be stranded in an island with, which one would it be? And I would say, well, the Bible, of course. Uh, and then I would say, the Divine Conspiracy uh, by Dallas Willard. And he paraphrases the poor in spirit as... Uh, being spiritually bankrupt. Being spiritually bankrupt. To actually not have it all together. That's actually a good thing. 
when it comes to being part of the, God's kingdom is to actually not have it all together, to know that we are broken, to know that there, more, there must be more to life than what we're living right now. It's because out of that desperation, God can finally step back and say, ah, now I can do something in you. When we let go of that need for power and control. It's this whole idea of fasting. I don't know if you guys have ever fast, fasted from food. Uh, I eat a lot. I like to eat. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't like fasting. Uh, but when I do fast um, for a few hours, uh, there's this idea. I was like, oh, I would do anything for that burger right now. Or, oh, I would do anything for that cheap pizza. Oh, gosh, I would do anything for some Chipotle. I would, you know, like there's this idea of desperation in you that you would do anything just for a bite of food or a drink of water. And in that whole idea, and that's why fasting was important in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and, and here, Jesus, along the same line, is saying the same thing. Is that you have to be poor in your spirit, knowing that you don't have it all together. That's who God blesses. I love this story in Luke chapter 18. Listen to this. I love this. Uh, it's just a parable about this overconfidence. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness, a.k.a people that think they have it all together. Uh, to, to some confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus said, listen to this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So a Pharisee, a very religious person, a tax collector uh, seen as someone evil, see, seen as kind of lower on the totem pole. Uh, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, uh, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. God, thank you I'm not him, is basically what he's saying. Uh, I, and then he goes on his resume, says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to the heaven, but he would beat his chest and, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then says, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, who is seen as the lowly list, lowly, lowly list uh, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Because for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see the dichotomy there? We think that the religious person that gives tenth of all that God to praise, that this person, God, will decide, yes, you are the one. But in God's kingdom, it's very different. It's actually this one, the one that knows that he needs help, the one that knows he's done wrong as a tax collector, the one that understands that he's sinful and that he has dirt and uh, he, there's more to life than what he's living. And which one are we? Do we understand our own brokenness, our own need for salvation, our own need for God? Because that's when we know that God is going to work. That's the state of heart that God needs, that soft heart to mold and shape 
and to live among us. And I say this out of full transparency in an invitation that's, that oftentimes a preacher will come up and say, you know what, if you know that you're broken, if you've been hurt, if you're depressed, if you're going through anxiety, all those things, man, God is with you. God wants to change that. God wants to be with you. God wants to heal you. Yes, that's true. And there's this other side where the church doesn't talk about often. If you're the one that lied, if you're the one that was unfaithful, if you're the one that was a perpetrator, if you are the one that hurt somebody, God is with you too. God is with you too. The kingdom of God is available to you too. To everybody, it's available too. To those that have been wrong, to those that have done wrong, and everybody in between. The kingdom of God is with you and it's for you. Let God take control, be king of your life. And secondly, uh, I want to look at really quickly in Luke, it says, blessed are the poor. Well, wait a minute. Matthew is the same Beatitudes, and Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, but Luke just says, blessed are the poor, period. It says he went down with them, as we just read, and it's almost like identical to the Matthew story. And then all of a sudden he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's interesting. See, the word poor here in Luke is this original word, uh, patokos, which actually means poor financially. It's not a spiritualization. It actually means you are broke, like you are poor living in extreme poverty, uh, and that you are dependent on other people for your survival. Even more interestingly is that in Matthew, where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's the same Greek word, patokos, this financial piece of being poor. Now, in both these accounts, it's the same Beatitudes with a little bit of a different angle uh, on both of them. So it's similar because both understand that when we are poor, especially in this time, when you're poor in the first century, it means uh, you are powerless. It means that you are subject to abuse, uh, to manipulation. Uh, you're considered an outcast of society uh, because you must have sinned or your family must have sinned. So the whole idea is, yes, there's an understanding in Matthew and in Luke that being poor, even financially, brings us to a place of need. And I love, in Matthew chapter 19, it says, again, I tell you, it is easier, that's why it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean that being rich is a sin. Uh, you can be rich, and God, if you're willing, I'll give it a shot. You know, like, it's okay to be rich, at the same time, the reality is, it's the poor, whether it's in spirits, the poor financially, that understands that there's a need. Is that us? Do we understand that there is a need for us and for you? And so Luke's message is very cryptic. It says, uh, poor in spirit, or it says poor in spirit in Matthew, but in Luke it, says, it just says blessed are the poor. There's a blessing in the poor 
is what Luke is saying. Now here's the cryptic message is that since the poor, the literally financially the poor, the marginalized, the outcasted, really in this particular passage and uh, context, it would be the widows, it would be the immigrants, it would be the orphans, it would be the outsiders, those would be considered the poor. What Luke is saying is God's kingdom and blessing is found there in them and with them. Here's the problem. The problem is if we avoid the poor, if we don't address that problem, if we don't do anything to help, if we don't engage in friendship with refugee families, with, with homeless, with teens, with people at risk, whatever it is, if we say, you know what, I'm just going to stay away in my comfortable life, guess what? It's not just their loss, but it's your loss and my loss too. Because Jesus is saying that there's a blessing to be found in being in relationship with them. And yet, when we don't engage, it's not just the people in need that are missing out. It's actually us too, me too, that are missing out. Because there's a blessing found in the poor and with the poor. And so the calling is for us not only to live in God's reign and God's kingdom, but to also be agents of it, bringing it to those that are in need, that are powerless, that are outcasted, that are marginalized, because God has something for us there, being in relationship with people, even people that are different than us, that causes us to be uncomfortable God compels us to go that direction. Yes, the kingdom of God is about a renovation of our hearts and our souls, but the kingdom of God is actually practical. It says, you want to be a follower? Here's what it looks like. Go to the poor. Go to those that will be mourning, which we'll be talking about. Go to those that are suffering. That's what we're going to be talking about. Go to them. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And as I invite the worship team and the, uh, the communion servers forward, we're going to participate in the kingdom of God collectively as a community by partaking in what Christ did for us on that cross. And as you come and as you receive in just a moment these elements, uh, one person with the bread will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And the other person will say, as you dip the bread, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. There was something that Jesus did on that cross, his death and his resurrection, that makes it possible for us to be living in God's kingdom here on earth today. In order to serve others, in order to feel healed, and to feel the joy, and to feel connected to being whole, that's all because of this. And so I invite you, as we continue in worship, that you would do a quick inventory in our, of yourselves. Who's my king? What kingdom am I a part of? God, may it be yours. May it be yours. And with grateful hearts, may we receive all that Christ has done for us. Let me pray. God, thank you for what you've done on the cross and the, and the fact that we get to celebrate together and 
partaking in communion. And by this, may we know that your kingdom is here right now in this place. And we will take your kingdom outside of this place to be a presence in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our classes, wherever it is. Showing people, not just telling people, but showing people what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's healing, that's forgiveness, that's generosity, that's hospitality. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Come as you feel led.